Okay, let's go into Galatians chapter 5. It's been a few weeks. We've had a wonderful time uh, remembering Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. That's a theme I'd like to just stay on the rest of uh, the year and the rest of my life. But we also need to study Galatians 5 because now it's practical time as to uh, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ we have a a call as to the way we ought to live. And that's what this passage is all about. We're, we've been studying Galatians 5 now for quite a number of weeks. And so I, I take your attention today to verses 19 through 21. I'm going to start reading in verse 16 before we have a word of prayer. 16 through 21. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, Jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow, what a heavy section. But that's where we are today. Heavenly Father, we are entering into a study of your word a very important time in our worship service, where this is where we stop and listen to you. And you will teach us, we know. Thank you, Lord, for several things. Number one, thank you that we have your word, that we may see it. Thank you for giving us minds, and especially thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, who shows to us the word and helps us to understand it, and also helps us to apply it. We are in great need today as we enter into this section, for you are at work, and uh, we want to be willing participants in what you're doing. May our lives be challenged, our lives be challenged, may our lives be different because of what you show us here today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we have been walking here in what I call the internal battlefield. Uh, this section that we look at, especially in verse number 16, uh, we have witnessed a very clear, and I, I would call it simple. Not simple because it's easy, but because it's not complicated. A simple call to walk by the Spirit. Verse 16 tells us to do that. Walk by the Spirit. And if we obey, we will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The flesh we know is a powerful thing. It bites, it devours, it consumes. We would add as well that it dominates. We know that it controls. And when it has its way, you will do its things. The end of verse number 16 says, 
that there are some, if they do not walk by the Spirit, they will carry out the desire of the flesh, because 17 says at the end, so that you may not do the things that you please. The primary characteristic of the way of the flesh is opposite to the way of the Spirit. The Scripture says these two are in opposition to one another in verse 17. They do not cooperate. They do not submit to one another. The Spirit will never submit to the flesh. Never. The flesh doesn't want to submit to the Spirit. The flesh operates, as we've seen in the last two messages, in licentiousness and legalistic behavior. It is not your friend. That's been my emphasis all the way through here. I do that on purpose, because the goal of the flesh is to destroy you. Its way leads to death. If that's alarming, I hope so. Because we need the alarm. We, we need to understand this passage. He's writing to believers. The unbeliever does not care. The believer ought to be engaged when they hear these words to say, Lord, not me. Not me. I've spoken from this passage now for nine messages already. And I hope we can hear what God has declared to us here. Uh, these are not... Matters of opinion. I wish it were that you could just, you know, dismiss what I say and say, oh, I'll just go on and do it my own way. These are not matters of opinion. These, these are not debatable items. They're, they're in God's Word. and We can't come down to uh, our own interpretation here and, and make up our own scheme. We are commanded to walk by the Spirit, and that is not optional. It is not optional for any of us. It is not debatable for any of us. It is expected of all of us. It is required of all of us. Would you think that if God gave a command, he expects that command to be obeyed? Yeah. Would it be right for him to then hold us accountable for it? Yes. If we stand before him someday in glory, and we will, and he says, I'd like to talk to you about Galatians 5.16. Are you going to get nervous all of a sudden? Because you knew it's a command, and you chose not to do it? I believe that when he says something, he means it. And he said it. It's powerful here. You see, this is what I want you to, to, to think just for a moment on this point. We think sometimes, so, okay, that's a command, and that's, that's designed for those who really want to be the, the spiritual kind. You know, we have categories for people, don't we, in our minds? There's those that are more spiritual than others, and, and sometimes we're just happy to float somewhere in the middle. We don't want to be considered unspiritual. <laughs> so we, we're just happy in that middle ground somewhere in there. We're, we're okay with that. To not walk by the Spirit is not some sort of less spiritual condition. It is to cooperate with the enemy of God. It is spiritual treason 
to not walk by the Spirit. It is an act against the sovereign captain of your soul. He said, walk by the Spirit. And that is not something that we base just for those who are are more spiritual in their walk or not. It's for all of us as believers in Christ. We are to walk by the Spirit. So nobody's omitted here as we walk again into this battlefield that we are studying here. A battlefield is what I like to call it, an internal battlefield. It's not a happy place. Years ago, while living in Indiana, on a very beautiful fall day, and I could recollect this so well, we took a a family drive about an hour and a half or two hours from the house to a place called Battleground, Indiana. That was the name of the town, Battleground. It was just outside of the town called Lafayette, which if you go on a map, you'll find it over on the eastern side of the state, a little ways down from the top uh, on a map. But Lafayette, Indiana was a location for a battle that was called the Battle of Tippecanoe. And there at that uh, place, back in 1811, William Henry Harrison, who was then the governor of Indiana, later became the president of the United States. He brought the military there to the Indiana Territory in order to deal with a problem with several Indiana or Indian tribes that have formed a some sort of a federation. And they were causing a great deal of trouble there. They, the leaders were Shawnee Indians. Uh, one was named Tecumseh, and the other was called the Prophet. And these two had uh, set up place in what later was called Prophetstown. It's right next to Battleground. And uh, with their tribes, they had planned on starting a war. William Henry Harrison brought 1,000 troops with him. And a message, a declaration for peace that he gave to the tribal chiefs. And and they had planned to meet with them the very next day and to talk about that declaration. So they handed it to him and their plans were to meet the next day. Well, William Henry Harrison knew (laughs) that uh, not only the declaration was not welcome, but he also knew that uh, these Indians were quite successful. Their leadership was brilliant. And uh, that the likelihood of being attacked during the night was, was high. And so he had his soldiers prepared. Those who slept, slept in their uniforms with their weapons right beside them. A great number of them did not sleep. They were left on guard duty to watch for an attack. And sure enough, at four in the morning, the Indians came over the hill. And they attacked. It was a fierce battle. A fierce battle. But because William Henry Harrison and the rest were prepared for the attack, they managed to resist it. They managed even to break that federation. And that was, for all all purposes, that was the end of that uh, 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 group of Indians that caused such great trouble. Nearly 200 years later, were there walking on that same battlefield. Now, it was a different sight when we saw it. It was a beautiful park. 
the green grass. I pictured this beautiful green grass all the way across there and, and some wildflowers growing here and there of different colors. There were um, maple trees everywhere. And gorgeous maple trees, large, beautiful maple trees. Sassafras trees. I've always loved the sassafras tree. If you ever get close to them on a warm day, oh, they smell terrific. Uh, you could just enjoy that. Uh, that was there. There was a there was a, a creek that ran along the edge of that park, and it might have been about ten feet wide. It was only you know real shallow. You could see the bottom as you looked down over the little footbridge that went across it. Just a, a beautiful, beautiful view. And since it was fall. Those leaves are orange and they were yellow and they were somewhere on the ground and somewhere on the trees and it was a gorgeous sight. There's nothing like a, a good walk in a park like that on a fall day when it's still warm in Indiana. There was peace there. No sounds outside of chattering of squirrels or birds or such like that. And it's just a beautiful place. But every 20 yards or so, there was a tombstone. A tombstone with a soldier's name on it. There were some 63 tombstones strewn across that beautiful park. And we'd walk one by one and look at those tombstones, uh, lieutenants here and privates there and captains and others. We, we read the names and, you know, that's very sobering when you realize you're not just at a park, you're, you're at a memorial site. And you see those tombstones and, and you see the evidence that that place at one time was not peaceful. And at one time it was not beautiful. They had a terrible battle that took place there. When we go here into our Galatians passage, we don't view verse 19, 20, or 21 as a pretty place, do we? We see a, a very gruesome description of sin These uh, words that we're reading are not so much memorials as if the conflict within us is over. But I would say that uh, this struggle, since it goes on, these things that we will look at here today in the next couple of weeks are evidence of the battle. And even evidence of the defeats, if you will. In battle, if I could carry the the picture a little bit farther, the words that you see in verse nineteen, twenty, and twenty one are like tombstones that mark the deeds of the flesh. They're evidence that something has died here, because one stone says on it immorality, and right beside it another stone that says impurity. And still another says sensuality on it. Over there, perhaps, is a stone that says idolatry, and right next to it, one that says sorcery on it. Short distance away, there's another stone that says jealousy on it. Another is marked outburst of anger. And another says dispute. And another says dissension. And, and perhaps a tall one out in the middle there says factions. And behind it is one called envy. 
and a few feet away is drunkenness. And another stone that says carousing. And if we look beyond these, according to the end of verse, or the middle of verse number 21, we see there's other stones here and there. Here and there. With similar etchings on the surface. All evidence that the flesh has been here. The flesh has been here. To paint this picture for you as a graveyard, I think is quite appropriate to the fact that the flesh does lead to death. It leads to death. And it it strews its deeds all over the place. Uh, When Spurgeon studied this passage, he wrote just a simple phrase. He said, this is the list for a black catalog. I thought, wow. It really is. Let's make a simple observation here. As we read through verses 19, 20, and 21, and we see this this list that's before us, it certainly does represent different categories of sin, but each one is a manifestation of sin. Some of these are quite grotesque. Some of these are the pollution of the body. Some are the pollution of the mind. Some involve more than one individual. Some are, are behaviors that are uncontrolled. Some are expressly evil. And some, as society we know it now, and some are called respectable. But all of them are sin. All of them are sin. And the wages of sin is death. And it doesn't matter if it's a minor sin, as we like to call them. We have a ranking system, don't we? It's in our mind. We think, well, there's a little sin. There's a big sin. And we, we, we look at it as major or minor classifications, but the reality is the wages of sin is death. See, God does not look upon such a list as we rate them from strongest to mildest, uh, he doesn't look at it that way, because he is holy, and sin is sin. He doesn't trifle with sin. He never snickers at an improper joke. He doesn't consider fudging, as we like to call it, not being quite so accurate in what we were doing, or, you know, embellishing something that isn't the way it ought to be. He does not consider that insignificant. You see, in case you've forgotten this, and I don't think you have, Jesus was pierced through for our transgressions. All of them. He was crushed for our iniquities. All of them. He was chastened. Scripture says, he was scourged, Scripture says. The Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, it says. Don't think for a minute there are little sins and big sins. Because one sin is enough to bring death. And if there were only one sin here, Jesus Christ would have died for that sin. There's your introduction this morning. I just set you up for the sermon. All right? You said, boy, let's start with prayer first here. 
because that's where we ought to be. Well, I want to make just two statements today. That sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? Verse 19, as we start into this verse, it says, The deeds of the flesh are evident. The deeds of the flesh are evident. I'd like to make two statements about that word, evident. When we talk about the deeds of the flesh, we're talking about works. That's the word in the Greek, by the way. Erga is the word. It speaks of works. And I find it very interesting. When I just look at the passage here, the Spirit has fruit. The flesh has works. Isn't that interesting, the choice of words? We, we don't see trees straining to bear fruit and try to pop out bananas or apples or whatever they do. When they are healthy, that's just a natural thing that they do. They bear fruit. But when we talk about the flesh, the flesh strains, the flesh works, the the flesh inserts itself so strongly in order to produce what it wants. It, It uses your energy. It uses your will. It uses your wisdom. And it works these things up. It, it's quite an interesting picture that that's true. Paul wrote to the Philippians, and he says, It's God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That means what we have, we need to submit to Him. He's changing us to realize it's not us, it's not our strength, it's not our wisdom, it's not our will that He seeks. It's His will and His strength and His wisdom in and through us. That's God's way. And you know, it's hard to submit to that, isn't it? But that's His work. He's doing that right now in us. He's changing us. I hope that it happens real soon, that we are more like what He has designed us to be. But here's the the word, and, and I said I wanted to talk about the word evident, but the works just kind of pop up in the page there. The deeds of the flesh. This is what it says, though. The... Works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh are evident. Now, if you read from a NIV this morning, your Bible translation would read, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Uh, King James Version, which a lot of you carry, I know, the works of the flesh are manifest. Kenneth Weiss, a, a Greek scholar and translator, said, now the works of the evil nature are well known. Well known. You see, the the word evident here is what I want to put the focus on because it says the evident. It's actually emphasized in the the construction of the sentence because when they want to emphasize the word, they move it to the front of the phrase. And that's the first word you see when you read this phrase. It says, evident are the works of the flesh. So it got my attention. (laughs) I said, okay, you put it up front. Let's see what we got to see. And so there's the emphasis on this evidence. What is that? Well, it's, a, it's an adjective. It's describing what works of the flesh look like. It's describing what do they look like. They're, what are they? Matter of fact, folks, we know what they look like. As Kenneth Weiss translated, they're well known. I'm not here preaching to you something you've never heard before. But these things, the light has been Shown upon them. That's the word, phaneros, for evidence. Uh, 
it's to shine light on them, to shine light on them, to reveal them, to disclose them, to make them obvious, to to give that manifest or visible presentation of what they are. It's not a happy picture. And when you shine the light on sin, the sinful man does not like it. He does not like it. He's not happy with this at all. Matter of fact, I think you know this, but I'll just say it because it's so obvious. It is not uncommon for one who is in the practice of sinning, say they have this terrible habit, and maybe it's in this list. When they do such a thing, they seek to hide it. And they do their best to hide it. But the day it is exposed, they get angry. You ever notice? They get angry. There's that outburst of... Wasn't that one of the tombstones we just read? Outburst of anger is part of the whole description of this. Let me show you a passage in John chapter 3 for a minute. Put your bookmark here and let's back up. John chapter 3, verse 19... And verse number 20, almost right in the middle of the chapter, John three nineteen and 20. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. There's something really fascinating, and yet, Absolutely terrible in that phrase in verse 19. Men loved the darkness. That is our our favorite little agape word. (laughs) We treasure that little agape word. We like that word. And it's used in such a horrible way right here. Men loved the darkness. You can't get a more powerful expression of their love for darkness. And they loved it rather than the light. It says, and the reason for that was because their deeds, their works, are what? Evil. Evil. And here's their response in verse number 20. Everyone who does evil hates the light. Can we say it stronger in any way? Wow. Hates the light. And number two, they don't come to the light. Why? Because they fear that their deeds will be exposed. Let's run a little test here. Okay, I'm going to try a name, and I think it's safe. If, if your name's Seymour, I'm sorry. I picked one just out of the blue thinking nobody here would have a Seymour. Maybe you don't have an Uncle Seymour either, so I'm going to use him. But if you do, I'm sorry. All right? Unless he matches. And then you know. Uh, Uncle Seymour, all right. Uncle Seymour, this beloved uncle of ours here, has been acting a little cranky around the house lately. Maybe he's hungry, we say. Oh, maybe he's tired. Maybe it's his medication. <laughs> we could always assert such a thing, can't we? Well, here he is, Uncle Seymour. He kicks the chairs. He slams the doors. He yells at the dogs. He he's cranky. He's cranky. We give him an excuse. 
very quickly, don't we? Uncle Seymour is having a bad day. He didn't sleep well. We, we've got all these other things. But is it not true that Uncle Seymour is not acting in a responsible Christian manner? Would you call any of his behaviors those that the Scripture commends? Okay, you say, well, that's, that's just not fair. So we, we can't do that to Uncle Seymour. Well, let's run the test. Is there evidence in the behavior I described to you that Uncle Seymour is walking in the way of the Spirit or walking in the way of the flesh? Yeah, there's evidence of which. Walking in the ways of the flesh. Are there outbursts of anger? Okay, there's one. That's enough. Let's stop with that one. But do you want to know for sure? Here's how you can test Uncle Seymour when you see what he's doing. You walk up to him and confront him on his attitude. Does Uncle Seymour bite and devour? Does Uncle Seymour resist spiritual truth? Does Uncle Seymour want his deeds exposed? You can play that scenario pretty easily, can't you, in your mind? Because you've seen it before. Maybe even done it before. And before you say, well, that's not fair, show me anywhere in the Scripture where the Spirit compromises with that kind of behavior. How many times does God give excuses for that kind of behavior? And I'm talking about some of the mildest stuff. Nothing like that list in verse 19, 20, and 21. You, you will never see the spirit and the flesh happy with coexistence in the same picture. Never. Never. It's said that the deeds of the flesh are evident. You put a spotlight on them. That's what the verse is telling us it's happening here. A spotlight is put on them. The world will decorate sin all it wants. And it does. But it doesn't change the fact of sin. It does not. And I've said this before. You could spread chocolate frosting all over manure, but it still stinks. It still stinks. God has clearly declared. That's what the word evidence is here in Galatians 5. He has clearly declared what sin consists of. The Bible puts a spotlight on it. Regardless, regardless, of where we start to read, how many times do we find it within the first two or three paragraphs? God reveals sin. He reveals sin. James said that the scripture is like a mirror in which uh, a man looks there and they see what is natural about them. And now we may choose to close the book or to walk away, but it doesn't change God's mind about sin. God has made it clear. That's the first thing I wanted to bring to your attention as we've gone through this passage here. He does not sugarcoat any of these things. And I honestly don't care what laws this country makes. God has said what sin is. And it stays that way. We're accountable to God's word. That's the first thing. God has made it clear. Second thing I add to this, then the word evident. And the fact that it is clear, it is also seen. It is seen. Now let me 
let me, if I haven't been personal with you already this morning, here it comes. Sin is visible. Sin is visible. A drunk man will try his best to walk like he's not drunk. A drunk man will try his best to talk like he's not drunk. But everyone knows he is. Sometimes I think we, we think we're pretty clever at hiding sin. After all, we've been practicing for quite a while. We've gotten good at it. We can hide our sin. In the book of Numbers, there's a fascinating episode where the Israelites are just about to cross into the Promised Land. And uh, three tribes, we call them two and a half, but three tribes come up to Moses and they say, Listen, Moses, we just conquered all this land over here on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and we'd like to live over here. We like the land. Can we not live here? And you guys go on into the Promised Land, and you set up on that side. There was quite a commotion from that, by the way. Uh, there were disputes going on about it, and they, they were very concerned about what that was about, and Moses prayed about it and talked to the Lord, and, and then he confronted them on their obligation. Their obligation was simply this, that they had to send their army in with the rest of them to conquer that land. They were responsible to assist everyone to get their home, and so they had to do that. But with them on the other side of the river, it would be easy for them to resist such commands. After all, there was a river dividing them. And even so, uh, no one would see them. They're on the other side. Now that could lead to all kinds of things. And there were stories that came from that because the people didn't know what they were doing and they were questioning what they had done. But this is what Moses said to them. It's in Numbers 32, 23. I'll read it to you here. But if you do not do so, let's go with us into the battle. Behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. How many times is that repeated in Scripture? <laughs> be sure your sin will find you out. Okay, here's our... The typical way Uncle Seymour sins. Uncle Seymour hides it, and he thinks no one sees. Unfortunately, folks, planting tombstones in your yards becomes pretty evident after a while. It's quite visible, and very few people who sin, like anything in this list we have in Galatians, is able to keep it hidden for a long time. Scripture says your sin will find you out. And there's a little bit more to it than that. By hiding it, are you not confessing in that very act that what you're doing is not honorable? Isn't that what we have to admit to when we hide something? It's not honorable. We don't want people to see it. It would be embarrassing, right? What's that say to you? <laughs> It's not pure. It's not acceptable. People understand that, so I'm just going to hide it. Don't deceive yourself with that. Unless we forget this as well. How often does the Bible say, your father who sees in secret, and then it finishes the phrase, do we not know that's his character? Does he know our words? 
Yes. Does he know our thoughts? Yes. Does that alarm you? <laughs> yes. Do you want to know why it alarms you? Are you doing things that you not, do not want to be seen by his eyes? We've seen the reality here. The deeds of the flesh are evident. They are seen. Right? Don't, don't deceive yourself otherwise. They are seen. They may not be seen by the person sitting next to you right now, but they are seen by God. And the reality comes out of Psalm 1, verse 6, that the way of the wicked man will perish. The way of the wicked man will perish. Okay, heavy stuff, right? Really heavy stuff. Or maybe this morning you're saying, you know what, I need some soul cleaning right now. Is your landscape full of tombstones? You may think they're hidden, but they are at least evident to God. Even in prayer, folks, understand this, that he's not going to be surprised when you bring them up. But the nice thing is that he can do something about it. He can do something about it. Forgiveness is such a beautiful thing, isn't it? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, the word confess is to say the same thing. God's already said it. Now it's time that our hearts come around to that place too. If we confess our sins, there's a promise. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's one of the most beautiful verses you'll ever encounter. Changes lives right there. You need that today? I know who to talk to, don't you? We had a Savior who died for our sins. We have a Father who forgives us our sins. And it's there. It's waiting for you to come and confess it and to call for it. If you're one who's looked at this list today and you said, Wow, Pastor, that's, that's me, and that's me, and that's me. It's time you talk to the Lord. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, this passage hits us very hard, but thank you for it. We need to be startled. We need to be shocked. We need to be shaken. We need to be woken up. We need to see what you see. And we need to know what you know. And you have made it evident before us, and there's nothing hidden from your sight. So as we come before you today, Lord, we're, number one, very sinful people. We know that. There's not a righteous man upon the earth that does not sin. But Lord, also, we have a Savior, Jesus Christ. And he stands interceding on our behalf. And we praise you for that. How needed that is for us. If we would just confess these things just as you have said it, come before your throne, pleading the blood of Christ, we shall know forgiveness. 
we shall know that cleansing that we need, that we seek today. Lord, you know how to work on every single heart in this room, and so I just simply ask, Holy Spirit, be at work in us. And indeed, make us different now. Do your great work for your honor, for your glory, for our good. May we be different kind of people now because we've sat at the feet of a holy and loving God. We give you the praise today in Jesus' name. Amen.